who am I and who do I want to be and how do I want to be in the world and who do I want to be with? To me, queerness is characterized by a willingness to break mold. I actually think God is a huge drama queen. The thing that pisses me off when people talk about power is that like manipulation. I'm like, no, thanks. Fuck you. The kind of power that I like is like empowerment. In the words of RuPaul, we are all born naked and the rest is drag. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Hi Self. I'm your host, Sandra Possing, and I want you to know how much I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. I'm having, um, feeling all the feels today. I'm having a lot of like kind of pinch me moments lately where I'm just like, I can't believe this is my life. Things are really good. Speaking of life being really good, a couple of announcements that I'm excited about. You've probably heard me talk about Dream Life Academy, aka DLA, for the homies that are in the know. We are opening the doors to DLA again on January 31st. So if I'm doing the math correctly by the time this episode comes out, it'll be past that and you can join us. There'll be a link in the show notes. You can go down and read more all about it and hopefully join us in there. It's a lifestyle design membership and it's fucking rad. Another announcement is we have Manifest That Shit, which is a six-week manifestation basics course that's coming up in the end of February that I'm also really excited about. Link in the show notes for that as well. You can jump on the wait list for now. So today we have a very special guest. This guest is a new person in my life. You're like a six-month friend. A lot has happened in six months. So this person is also a workout buddy and is also a dance buddy and is oftentimes a dance buddy in the gym. So if we are in the gym at the same time, you will often find both of us working uncontrollably, totally unbeknownst to each other. Like I will just look across the room. We're both dancing at the same time right now. Oftentimes this happens when there's reggaeton music on and you'll learn more about why in just a second. So my dear friend and guest is Ish Ruiz. I'm going to have him introduce himself rather than read a bio. I've decided it's more fun if my guests introduce themselves than if I like get all four and read a bio. So welcome, Ish. I'm so pumped to have you here. Uh, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. And I talk to myself all the time. And now I started to talk to myself by saying, oh, hi, self. So I'm very happy to see all of the stuff that you've been doing and to be invited here. Thank you for introducing me. Yes, I am. My name is Ish and I am originally from Puerto Rico. I live in California in uh, Northern California. And I identify as a gay man. The thing I do for, for work, for money, but also a deep passion of mine is academia. I'm an academic. Specifically, I am an ethicist. So I research questions of right and wrong, justice, injustice, liberation, uh, but specifically through a queer lens. So I am a, a queer ethicist. When I grew up in Puerto Rico, I was in a very homogeneous society where most people were straight and most people were also Catholic. And those things were together, right? There was a hyper-religious set of norms that permeated our culture. And I grew up with that. And then suddenly realizing that I am a gay man and that I don't fit that mold, it basically propelled me to understand this concept of queerness and to study it. So I am a queer theologian, meaning that I also interact uh, I also look at the intersection of LGBTQ plus identity and religion, because often that is a very tense relationship and it manifests in society. So that's basically who I am and what I do. I live in Sebastopol, California with my partner, Dan, my dog, Lester, my bird, Bowie, and I have a gym buddy named Sandra. And that's me. 
I love it. That um, I feel like that whole thing should be like the formal bio for your um, academic, you know, resources. There's so many reasons why I wanted to bring Ish on here. Number one, because of everything you just said, and like, what an interesting intersection of different topics and identities. And one of the things I love is is going into the to the edgy places. I like going into places where there can be tension. I like going into places where things can be very human and real and raw and just getting so curious about it. And as soon as I met Ish and he told me what he did, I was just like, whoa, that is definitely something I've never witnessed before. So I'm so curious. I want to know all about all about it. But another reason is just for those of you who know Ish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't, this person walks into a room and just the room changes. It's like the flavor of the air in the room changes to like more sassy, spicy and fun. There's just this like cloud of fun that follows ish wherever he goes it's just it's such a it's such an ex- you're like an experience <laughs> as a person and i remember the first couple of times i i met ish i like went back to to chris and to a couple of our mutual friends and i was just like dude i need to be friends with this person like this is a connection that I'm very stoked about. So what do you want to share? And this could be personal or professional. If you just like kind of take us through your chronological life story a little bit. So you're born in Puerto Rico and then like, what are the highlights or the things that, you know, made you who you are or that turning points in your life, just anything you want to share. Take us long for the journey. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. A lot of this stuff that I'm going to talk about actually really intersects with your own work. And especially, I, I may use different words, but it's basically the same concept, right? So yes, like I said, I grew up in Puerto Rico. I was the oldest of three boys. And I was raised in a very traditional household uh, with regard to sexuality. In Puerto Rico, unfortunately, we've all heard this word machismo, right? Which uh, which translates to um, this is a loose translation to maleism. So it's like a very patriarchal society, right? And that manifests in different ways. My coming out was really rough. My parents actually, I didn't really voluntarily come out. They found me out. They picked up a phone once and listened in on a conversation I was having with my, at the time, sweetheart, my high school sweetheart. It was the first time I gave myself permission to explore a queer relationship. I was very religious and I thought, you know, this is, this is evil. This is a sin. And suddenly I meet this young man and I decided to give it a shot to explore it. Something inside of me felt right. I tried it and I was dating him very informally. It was a very innocent relationship, very cute. And uh, my parents kind of picked up the phone. Now, something before I keep talking about, about my parents and this entire, how this unfolded, huge spoiler alert, which is my parents and I are great. We're on great terms. They're like my best friends. I love them. They love Dan. I'm pretty sure they like Dan more than me sometimes. It's really been beautiful to grow with them and to see a reconciliation truly happen. But it wasn't the case at first. And they, they were very shocked by this. They they actually sent me to conversion therapy. This was, uh, it was nothing interned or like the more extreme versions of like shock therapy or anything like that. It was more of a therapy after school, like go to a therapist. And I can't recall much of what he said. But he was a Baptist therapist, also very Christian. And he had some ideas about how I could change my sexual orientation. And he proposed those. My dad didn't think that it was working fast enough. So he took me out of it. And that was, the, I think that, that was for the best. And then it wasn't until I really went to college that I was, uh, and I went to college in the States in Ohio. So I moved from Puerto Rico to Dayton, Ohio. And I was able to really start exploring more, not just my sexuality, but also why I had so much shame about it, the religious stuff. And then I entered a process of what I would call deconstruction and reconstruction. I really had to break down 
everything I had been taught about gender, about gender roles, about religion, about what, what, what makes something good, about what makes something sinful. And I did that. I spent years through mentorship, honestly exploring. And I found myself suddenly in San Francisco. I made a time jump here. I lived in Hawaii first. And I found myself in San Francisco working teaching high school, teaching at a Catholic high school, a religious studies class. And it was perhaps the first time in my life where I was able to really synthesize my identity as a gay man, my identity as a Puerto Rican man, which I, again, had to deconstruct and reconstruct because to be Puerto Rican is to be this macho man, you know, and I had to like break that down and be a different kind of Puerto Rican, really rejoice in some of the more beautiful components of my culture and toss out some of the more toxic ones, right? And I was also able to reconceive faith, spirituality, Catholicism, right? What it means to believe that what we see around us is not all that there is, that there is something more than the material world, right? You talk always about like manifestation. I, I, that's a question I kind of had for you, like where is a more than the physical, right? And so I was able to reconceive that. I still use Catholic language because that's kind of what I grew up with is linked to my culture, but it's a completely reconceived understanding of Christianity and faith, right? Like, I actually think God is a huge drama queen. So, like, to me, that's how I reconceived of that. And that led me to doctoral studies in Berkeley, uh, the Graduate Theological Union, and I currently teach at Emory University in Atlanta. I teach remotely, and I teach courses in sexual sexuality, sexual ethics, that intersection with religion and sexuality. I teach courses in Latinx theology, Latinx identity, and I do a lot with queerness. So I'm a queer theorist, a queer theologian. I will add one more thing interspersed throughout everything I just said is a beautiful exploration of dating and actual sexuality and falling in love with men, be having my heart broken, taking those risks, going to gay clubs, falling in love with drag shows, learning how to twerk, twerking at the gym. The whole reason I do all this is so I can live a queer life and so others can live a queer life. So at the end of the day, like, you know, that joy that's a part of queerness must be made present in all components of my life. Right now, I am proud to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, like, I, I find myself as an integrated person. I am one person with all components of me. I am one. And that to me is a source of power that I hope other people really tap into. And that, again, that really jives a lot with a lot of this stuff that you say when you talk about design, when you talk about like living into something, it really takes a lot of power to be able to do that. And, and I'm really interested in that concept of like the idea of power and, and how can we be empowered people? The, I mean, the, w- the way that you describe all the different components of the journey, I think we could all learn so much from in terms of and whatever our backgrounds may be like yours happen to be these three very distinct um, identities and and cultural and religious and um, but whatever our backgrounds are it's like I mean I could what would be my version of mine is like so uh, born in Scandinavia bisexual and I don't know I'll pick some other identity as a tall person or something. Uh, but like a- any of the the things that we we come from or cultures or backgrounds or whatever. And to I love your description of like deconstructing it and then reconstructing it, you know, because so much of our of what the world that we see the lens through is just automatic. It's just our default. It's just our autopilot from our conditioning. Maybe it's our trauma. Maybe it's just we're just we're copying whatever our family or our caretakers modeled for us. And we haven't necessarily, I mean, like you were saying, so much of our work is similar. Like so much of my work is helping people actually figure out who they really are, not just who they were by default because of their past. And I love the idea though of like, makes me think of a fancy restaurant, like a bougie restaurant where it's like a deconstructed hamburger, but then you get to put it back however you want it or something. And like, what if we each did that for each of our, the components and the flavors of who we are. And we don't just have to be like, 
who our parents taught us to be or who we became kind of by default through our social conditioning or the media. But we get to decide, like, if I deconstruct all of me into all these different pieces, like, a, I don't know, the way the Ikea furniture shows up, <laughs> and then I can reconstruct it into whatever flavor, whatever combination that I actually want that's true to me, that's authentic, and I'm allowed to change it and I'm allowed to rearrange it. And then that becomes this more and more, like you were saying, integrated whole version of me that when I present myself to the world that way, it's just so much more authentic. And there's so much less tension because we can just finally relax into who we are and then let people be drawn to and interact with that version of us instead of some like weird constructed version or just default constructed version that we haven't actually really looked at critically. Yeah. And I can, can I add some more stuff to that? Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of times when we experience trauma, we go into defense mode, right? And then we, we have to do some of that deconstruction and that's a survival skill. Um, but at the same time, if we forget the second part of that, which is reconstructing, then what we end up with is a gap, uh, a, a hole in our being, in our, in our, basically all of these components of our identity, they also serve a purpose. I think culture serves a purpose, right? And I think um, our sexual identities, they serve a purpose. Uh, our, our, our spiritual outlook, even if it's atheism, whatever it is, the abil- I think it serves a purpose, right? The ability to explore, to wonder the bigger questions of life, they all serve a purpose. And so when we deconstruct them, but also don't engage in the act of reconstructing, creatively reconstructing, then I think we end up with, um, with, with a gap in ourselves. That, and, that, and sometimes that's where I think unhealthy habits kind of seep in because it's kind of painful not to be able to engage in, for example, our culture or not to be able to, or, or not to be able to engage in the deeper questions of life or not to be able to relationally and sexually relate to others uh, or at least discern what that is, right? Because I know that there are asexual people who perhaps are not interested in that, but that's still a process of like making that creative choice. And so when we don't get to do that, when we don't get to talk about sex, don't get to talk about the world and spirituality or don't get to talk about culture, then we end up numbing that pain with unhealthy habits. And I think that's why this work that you are doing and I think that I'm doing, even though they're in completely different fields, is so important. Yes, 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 yes. It's like the, the, the opposite of an unexamined life. Being willing to like look at the all the parts of us, including the parts that were like, ooh, like the, you know, scary dark corner that we've been avoiding or that we don't know how to deal with some shame of something. It's like shine being having the courage to shine a light on all corners of our being and just examine it with hopefully some neutrality and some curiosity. And then from there, really connecting with it and just deciding what we want to do with it. Like being at choice, being empowered, being in a place of like agency to decide like, who am I and who do I want to be and how do I want to be in the world and who do I want to be with and where do I want to be and what I want to do and just all the part that comes from that like deep authenticity. So in ter- so okay, the word queerness, I love because I think you use it in a way that's really meaningful and really powerful. Um, whereas I think it gets kind of tossed around in like a maybe more frivolous way just in our in our general like societal conversations. Will you please define for us like what does queerness mean to you in the context of the work that you do? And I love how you just framed the question because uh, one of my favorite theorists, her name is Nikki Sullivan. She is a queer theorist and she says defining queer is a very unqueer thing to do. 
because when we define something, right, we limit it to its definition. A square is nothing but a quadrilateral equal size, right angles, right? Nothing more, nothing less. And so queerness wants to always transgress. So I like to me, queerness is characterized by a willingness to break molds, to transgress binaries. And these molds and these binaries are norms, normative, right? Normativity. And uh, this is where like religion, for example, is a normative force. Culture is a normative force. Our economy, you talk so much about money and how we can, again, a normative force. And we live in a world of norms. And so for me, queerness is about transgressing against those. There are some things that I, different queer, queer theorists have different ideas about how far queerness should go. Should we always transgress against all norms? Maybe there are some norms that are good to keep, right? And that's, that's a discussion that the academics love to have and whatnot. But for me, at, at its most basic, it's, queerness is really about transgression. It's about breaking the mold. But it also makes room for that second part, which is the creativity that is, that is constructing. So deconstructing, reconstructing, right? And queerness really transgresses, but also makes room for creative energy to reconstruct, right? For me, queerness is also about power. And that is something that I've really explored a lot in my research, because most people think about power in the traditional sense, like the haves have power over the have-nots. For you to have power, you need money, you need, you know, like Marx thinks about capital, right? And he's like, capitalism is, is bad, is evil. So, so it's this idea, and we live in a capitalistic world where people think that the only way to have power is to have money, political influence, fame you know, capital, right? However you define capital. I look at power in a different way. I think power, uh, I agree with this other theorist, his name is Michel, Michel Foucault. He's a French theorist. And he thinks about power as discursive, meaning anyone can wield it. All you need in order to have power is the ability to talk and express an idea. So that's all you need. If you can do that, then you have a power. And so power for him is something that permeates. A discourse, the way you talk about something, creates its reality. And so discursive power seeks to reframe the way we understand stuff. So the way we reconceive of norms. And queer is really about speaking a different truth into existence to me, a new way of looking at the world into existence. That to me is the power of queerness. The last person I'll talk about is another foundational figure in the world of queer theory is Judith Butler. They are from the University of Berkeley. And Judith Butler talks about performativity, the idea that gender is a performance not only a performance, but a performance that creates gender. So the more I act like a bro, the more I create masculinity, right? And then it gets taught to me, society teaches me to be a man, and then I act like a man, and then I strengthen masculinity, which then gets taught to me. So Judith, that's called performativity. We act out these concepts, and we strengthen the concepts, and then they get taught to us. And we have this cycle, right? Uh, and so for Butler, they say, well, we need to learn how to break that mold and how do we do it by performing differently and again that's queerness so when you look at a drag queen you know a person assigned male at birth but putting but putting on clothes that do not conform that person is performing but by doing so is weakening that norm that is gender right and so we are queering gender transgressing against norms speaking new norms into existence or speaking new realities into existence. That to me is a complicated simplification of what queerness is. And I, I love it. I love being queer. Like I look, at, I look at this creative power that I have and I look at you and how you yourself are 
also like very queer everywhere. And I think this is cool. Like I, if I had to be born again and live a straight cis gender life, like love my straight, straight cis homies. But I think I would choose to be queer every single day, like over and over again. It's like my, sort of my favorite thing about me. Oh my gosh. Hell yes to all of that. And it's, it's so cool to hear you articulate all of this. Cause I, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing everything that I teach and believe, but through completely different words, but it's, it's literally all the same stuff. You're just describing it through like some different contexts, but it's like everything that you say about queerness and transgression to like my words for that would be like, um, like unconventional success, or it's designing your life on your terms. It's, it's rebelling against all of like the status quo, not just to be an asshole, not just to rebel because you're trying to like, raise hell, not just to rock the boat. So it's not just rebelling to rebel, but it's the act of daring to rebel or daring to go the unconventional path so that you can honor who you really are versus just conforming to conform or just because it hasn't occurred to you to not do what everyone else is doing. But the pathway to doing something different than what societal expectations will have us do is inherently rocky <laughs> and we will encounter roadblocks and we will run into walls and we will piss people off and we'll, we will be judged. And that's, that's a part of the journey, but it ends up becoming almost part of the thrill. I think for me, it feels so much more exciting to, and again, not just rebel, just to rebel, but to do the thing that's right for me, even if it's a little edgy or even if people are going to question it, or even if it's not the norm, because it just like, to me, like the, the feeling of aliveness that comes from honoring what's my truth or even just exploring and trying to figure out what my truth is or exploring like what does self-expression feel like when it's whether you're just dabbling and figuring it out or whether you're like this is who I am like that's one thing I do love about drag queens is like the unapologetic authenticity of the drag of the queens I'm just like thank you teach us all thank you please teach us also how do I do my makeup need all the help I can get with that and just a note on the power thing when I think of of power I think of like the thing that pisses me off when people talk about power or use power in the wrong way is that like manipulation it's power over it's it's a superiority it's like i have more power because i'm better than you and you are less than me like any of that kind of power dynamic i'm like no thanks fuck you bye felicia the kind of power that i like is like empowerment which is like the fire that comes within it's agency it's a sense of like i am able to create impact i am able not like influence like i have to show everyone that i'm right and they're wrong but impact in 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 the sense of like i have something to contribute and i want to do some sort of good in the world or i want to help someone or i want to even if it's like you know you don't have to be like a political activist or or like saving the environment you can have an impact just by parenting well you can have an impact just by making art that brings people joy. But it's like, to me, that's power. That's like the power. And I loved your, your framing around words and, and discursive. It's like the incredible power of words and language when we use that and use it in a way that's coming from truth and coming from authenticity. And yeah, it's a performance. I, I translate that into Sandra speak as self-expression, which sometimes it's like, this is who I am. And sometimes it's like, I'm trying this on to see if it fits. <laughs> you know, like one thing I've really enjoyed about like the self-expression pieces is playing with the masculine and feminine and being like, how do I feel when I dress more masculine? How do I feel when I dress more feminine? And all of it is feels so good. It's so much fun. In the words of RuPaul, we are all born naked and the rest is drag. You know, two things. First of all, like, like I said, like my, my field is known as the field of queer theory. And it's a theory. And we live up there. So when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is queer theory in action. This is literally 
you're grabbing these concepts that, that you can really reason and be intuitive. I'm giving you different languages, and this is perhaps what's in the books, the discursive knowledge, performativity. If you, if you study queer theory academically, you will read Judith Butler and performativity. You will read Michel Foucault and discourse. Uh, there's a broad umbrella here, which is the concept of constructionism social constructionism. Most people think like, oh, well, we are born man. That means we have to be a male. That means we have to be heterosexual. That's, that's the opposite of constructionism. We construct masculinity. We construct heterosexuality. We construct all of these things, right? And so that's a philosophy about how our identities are constructed and not something that we're totally born with. And that's, I know, controversial because a lot of progressives love the born this way argument. I was born this way. I was born gay. I actually dislike the argument because I think that it gives, it, it almost sounds like an apology. Please don't hate me. I was born this way. I can't control it. I was like, Mm-mm, no, no, no. I, you know what? If I could choose to be queer, I will choose it over and over again. Um, and that doesn't make it any bad, any, any less bad. So we sometimes rely on the nature. I am naturally conditioned this way. And I'm like, no, we need to start understanding that we construct who we are. We construct meaning, we construct norms, we constru- construct concepts. And then we live by them. And it's a, that's a choice, right? And, and we need to own that and, and, and be proud of, of our choices. That's part one. And when I see your podcast, I'm like, you literally talk about designing your life. Like, and my partner's an interior designer. So I'm like, constant, and, I use, and I, I, I've used him and the metaphor of design to design spaces where queer people can be welcome. Because I do work with uh, institutions sometimes where it's like a Catholic school or, or a ministry space or a religious institution. I'm like, how can you redesign? Re-? And I use the word design as well. So, but the other thing that you said about power is so interesting, right? Because like some people feel the need to oppress other people and they use power, this top-down version of power. They use what? The resources, the material resources that they have, money, politics, whatever, reputation, social status, to bring other people down. And they use that and they sometimes use that to get people to do what they want, to manipulate, right? Okay, now I'm going to add uh, what Michel Foucault, so this discursive power lens to that. And I'm going to actually say that's actually not power, right? That's actually not power. Michel Foucault, or Michel Foucault, I mean, it is power, but it's, it's uh, Michel Foucault uses the word desperate. So like, that's desperate power. You must be really desperate if in order to get people to do what you want, you have to resort to manipulations of that sort. Okay, that must, that's actually desperate power. Let me give you an example. I'm a teacher. I'm an educator. I teach courses. And I have a syllabus, which means I have a set of rules in my class. And these are norms uh, and rules that I, that I sometimes have to enforce, right? I have an attendance policy. I have an attendance policy. And that means a student, my attendance policy, typically, for example, this semester is that you, can, you have one excused absence. After that, you lose points. You, you get deductions, right? If I was really powerful, think discursive power, I would have the ability to express to my students an idea and have them buy it because it's a good idea or because I I express it. And I'm like, hey, listen, we're a community. We're here responsible for each other. Uh, We have have accountability to each other. We are exploring a a material. This course is important. What we're learning is important, matters. And that's why I need you here. I need you to be present. And if my students listen to that, it speaks to their heart and they show up, then I have used my discursive power convincingly. Okay. Now, if I tell them, you better be here, I'm going to take off five percentage points. Then I'm using the other kind of power, the repressive top-down power. But the only reason I have to resort to that is because I didn't, I failed to convince them in the first place. 
Does that make sense? So real power to me is more relational. Like, can we really be ourselves? Can I convince you to value something discursively? Can we talk about this and just jive about it? Can we, you know, like have relational communities? And to me, that's real power. If you're able to, and, and here, that's where you have like charismatic historical figures like Martin Luther King standing up in front of thousands and thousands of people saying, I have a dream, right? And people are going to gravitate to that. That is discursive power. Okay, versus you have a, another type of social political leader with policemen and armies and saying, you better do this or I'm going to, you know, throw you in jail. or I'm going to, you know, beat you up. That's actually desperate power. That's that kind of per- that person can o- has to resort to coercion in order to get other people to do what they want. That's desperate power. It means they don't have the ability to com- be convincing. And and that that's why to me, I still I still want to sit with this kind of power, the, the power, the queer power. To me, it's a stronger power. So I'm, it's, I'm having so much fun, like translating and interpreting everything you're saying into, into, uh, into Sondra world speak. So everything you're descri- describing about desperate power versus the other kind of power, desperate power to me is that, so the parallels are in leadership and in parenting are the two that come to mind. And when I think of, I used to do a lot of leadership training and th- there was like this stark contrast between what I would call, let's call it shitty leadership <laughs> versus like inspiring or empowering leadership or the other parallel of like, I don't want to call it shitty, but like, let's call it like maybe less effective parenting versus really powerful parenting. In the shitty leadership example, I would say that is what we see in most places in the world. It's it's the outdated, very patriarchal, very top-down power over, I am controlling you, I am manipulate, manipulating you, or I'm telling you what to do because I have, like you said, whatever, the power, the resources, the, the power over. And that yeah, it's desperate. It's not inspiring. It's not empowering. The people who like that are typically people who very, who feel very disempowered and disconnected, and they just are desperate for someone to tell them what they do, what to do, because they feel lost otherwise. Which historically, we've we've gone through a lot of periods in our human history where that has worked well because people have just been very lost and whatever. And then there's this other kind of power, which I would say is like a new kind of leadership. It's more conscious leadership. It's not telling people what to do. It's not having power over them. It's not forcing them. It's inspiring them. It's empowering. It's leading from the front, but maybe with them. It's, it's enrolling people in your vision, using the power of your words, using the power of like helping them see how this is also for them. This is for the greater good. And then it's working with them. It's not an, I am better than you. It's not because I told you so it's, Hey, I'm going to go do this thing. This is why I believe in it. This is why it's important. Please come with me. We're all going to go do this together. And you're lifting other people with you as you go. And then I am not a parent yet to be discussed. That might change soon. We shall see. Oh my God. I'm just letting so many cats out of the bag here on this podcast. Nothing has, nothing has happened yet, folks. Don't get excited. But um, we may or may not be embarking on that journey. I just told that secret to two groups today. Well, one is this a group of two, but also going out to, you know, the whole internet really can't keep a secret. But with parents, so, so I am not a parent, so I can't speak to the lived experience of a parent. But I see in parenting the, what seems to be much less effective is when a parent just tells their kid what to do and, you know, says things like, because I told you so, I would call that the very like, uh, not outdated, but just older school um, (laughs) form of parenting, where it's just power over, I control you, you have to do what I say, because I said so, versus like, 
empowering your kid, teaching them, having, I don't know, teachable moments, but things where you were like, you're helping them understand the why behind as like age appropriate, you know, you're guiding them, you're enrolling them in whatever vision that you believe is important to them, but maybe also giving them room to fail and grow and learn. And you're like, you're guiding and nudging them as like a guide and a leader and a mentor. You're not just controlling them because they're your possessions. So like that desperate, disempowering, shitty leadership or parenting or control versus the empowering, powerful kind. And the, the only nuance I would add to both that and what I was saying is that, you know, uh, sometimes that kind of like mechanism of control is necessary and important. Sometimes, in some cases, and I can imagine some people who might need some of that structure uh, to be guided. Us humans should really always strive for the ideal. Like ideally, this would be it. Sometimes, I have to ground my kid and take away if I don't have a kid either. Uh, but like sometimes I tell Lester, like, no, bad dog, go to your bed if he tears up my coasters, which he continues to do, even though they're nice and pretty and leather bound. So sometimes we do resort to that. And it's not like, let's get rid of our police. Let's get rid of our all of our structures. Like some people need the structures, right? But in an ideal society, we would live in a place where we can discuss the norms and the principles that guide us and we can discursively encourage each other to participate in those. And, and that to me is important, which brings me to like a huge part of queerness, right? Queerness almost envisions, and again, the design question here, right? Envisions a new world, right? It is the reason I, I study it is because I, I consider it to be very hope-filled. And that's that energy that you're talking about. Queerness allows us to deconstruct, but then envision something prior to that reconstruction. And to me, that's where that creativity comes from. And it's just, it's not self-contained in me, but rather I know that for me to be okay, I rely on a society that A, welcomes me, keeps me safe, provides me what I need, etc. So queerness is not just something that uh, it's not really a designing of our own life uh, uh, alone, but rather a designing a redesign of our societies, of our world, of our communities. And, and to me that I'm attracted to that bigger impact that something like queerness can have. And how do we, how, so for people who are listening to this and resonating and whether queer or not, however you identify, if you like the concept of queerness and the idea of the power of queerness and somebody's like, yes, now what do Sign I do? You know, <laughs> on this podcast, we're all about practical tools. So I'm like, love all the theory. And then I'm like, how do I, how do I do it? What's the next step? What are the tangible tools or actions that I can take and how, whether someone is coming at this as an individual um, or as a member of the LGBT plus community or as an ally, or just as a curious person about the whole thing, like what are some of the tangible things we can do to support that, to embrace queerness, to move the vision forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Step one, find your local gay bar. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, a lot of this process really starts inside, right? It starts with that awareness. Really, it starts with introspection and being aware of, of who we are. Now, 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 of who we are and how the, the, the norms and the ideas that guide our lives where they come from. So that I, that awareness is there. I'm, I'm actually, I guess I'm kind of half joking about step one, find your local gay bar because a lot of times that introspection happens when you encounter difference. So it is really the encounter with the other, the other, uh, right? Someone who is not like you. And that's where you start really realizing, oh, hold on. I don't think my, my, my family had to think about their own sexual orientation uh, until they really had to contend with mine. You know, uh, I, I always like to, uh, I used to guide this group of youth. It was a queer club at the school I was at. 
And uh, there were some allies there. And so we would have this session always where it's like, how did you come to realize the sexual identity with which you currently identify? And the straight people would be like, uh, so wait, do we just let the LGBTQ plus people answer the question? Do we just, you know, listen? And I'm like, no. How, when did you realize you were straight? Oh, no one's ever asked you that? Oh, that must be because, you know, you've been following this mold and not really realize, oh, wait, I'm straight. You know, for most straight people I, and cisgender people, I, I, I wonder, like, was it an encounter with the concept of queerness that made you really think that, that made you realize that? So that it's that encounter that's important. So like really put yourself in a, like, a diverse place. And this is not just about basically put yourself in a encounter others, right? And, and that'll help guide your self-awareness. Um, the other thing is, I love that you asked this question because the queer project, while it is a worldview that originates historically from the LGBTQ plus community, it actually transcends it, Right. And you can uh, apply a queer lens to, for example, the study of race and critical race. And that happened to me, right? So I jokingly say I realized I was gay before I realized I was Puerto Rican because I grew up in a very homogeneous society. It wasn't until I moved to Dayton, Ohio, that I realized how, quote unquote, other I was. And then I had to think about whiteness and about how whiteness is constructed and has been constructed and, and see, deconstruct that and transgress against it. And why does the white person need to do this, this, and that? Why does the Puerto Rican need to do this, this, and that? And so I apply, I, without knowing this, right, these two identities, the Puerto Rican one and the, and the queer one, in, within me, I informed each other. My Puerto Rican identity is all about things. Since Puerto Rico is a colony of the U.S. in many ways, I always had this, like, mentality growing up of, like, fighting against injustice. Like, like si se puede. We're not going to be colonized. Like, we're going to overcome this. We're going to overthrow the oppressor that's like a part of the puerto rican culture right there's a puerto rican flag right which is which you might be familiar with it's a blue triangle with three red stripes with white stripes in between and a, and a white star but there's a resistance version of it in which it's all a black triangle with the white with the black stripes it's a black and white version of it and that's like the we will reject u.s col uh, colonization right because the puerto rican flag has the same colors as the u.s flag and that's because the U.S. altered the colors of the Puerto Rican flag to make it look like its own. The, the, the original flag of Puerto Rico, the blue was a, more like a turquoise type of color. And so the U.S. made it more like a royal, royal blue, like the U.S. flag. And so Puerto Rican resistance yielded this flag that was like a black and white. So I've always had that. And then my queerness made me really think about the underlying norms that, that are um, imperceptible, even in Puerto Rico, where we have such a like a woke mentality against oppression. Nonetheless, we oppress queer people. So there are some forms of oppression that are normalizing, normative oppression. This idea that like straight is the norm. Man and woman is the norm. So and those norms, Puerto Ricans don't like to question them, right? So they like to question the type of like top-down oppression, but they don't like to question the norm normalizing oppression and so that's what my queer lens did so those two identities inform each other so i go to ohio and i find myself in white spaces questioning the norms that sustain whiteness okay? and i and i find myself in straight spaces as a queer person but not just as a queer person questioning norms but as a puerto rican person also saying like no we're going to overthrow this like heteronormative patriarchy you know but that's an example of like how this idea of like fighting against the norms, the oppressive norms, which queers have had to do because that's how we are oppressed, can also be translated into racial oppression, gender oppression, even economic oppression. You do that in your podcast when you say 
hey, financials, like you have the ability to really change your life. You do not have to be a part of corporate America. You do not have to be a part of, you don't have to give in to X, Y, and Z. You can be creative in other ways. And so to me, that's uh, like, again, that, again, why I love queerness so much. And my translation for that is it's like challenging all of those norms. To me, that's like getting fucking curious, getting wildly curious about everything. And and ultimately, it's the same thing. You're just coming at it maybe for like, I'm challenging this because I've had to from these different lenses and these different identities. And my version of that is like, I see one of the things that breaks my heart in so many of the people that I work with and what I see all around me is how much we walk around just like blindly accepting things, partly just because out of habit and partly because of the pressure to fit in the, the societal expectations and how wildly different things can like become and open up when we just dare to get curious about it. We're so conditioned to judge everything. Like you were saying, judge the other. And we think that, you know, I'm part of this group. So I judge that group over there or whatever it is. And this is why side note, like travel biggest gift. If you can travel, do as much of it as possible. Go to the places that are the most unlike the ones you've been, you know, it's just, it opens our eyes so much, but the more that we're able to look around and instead of just leaning back and be like, Oh my God, I don't like that. She's so stupid. Or I don't like that group. I don't like that, whatever. And when we judge, we just, we limit our minds. We shut everything down. We put ourselves in a place of better than we put ourselves in a place of, we basically don't grow when we think we know better or when we think we know everything or when we think we're better than Whereas if we flip that and we, we shift from judgment into curiosity, then curiosity is a place of like limitless growth, which is what we're all about here at the OI Self headquarters, you know? And it's like, if you get fucking curious about anything, you open the door to your own growth and learning. You open the door to deeper connection and vulnerability and intimacy with another person, which ultimately is what most of us want in some shape or form anyway, right? We want connection. We want love. We want belonging. We want community. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. You're not going to get any of that if you're too busy, you know, putting up your armor, shutting shutting down the connection and not being curious because you're too busy judging it. So the more that we can shift away from that and more towards challenging the norms, challenging the assumptions and just getting really, really curious. And when we're curious, we like, we, we go seek, you know, it's like, think about a kid. Kids haven't learned how to be judgy bitches yet. You know, they're just like, they, you know, it's like, they're so wildly curious. They want to talk to everyone. They want to touch everything. They want to put everything in their mouth. You know, maybe, maybe good that we grow out of that <laughs> to a degree, but yeah, the, the curiosity and the incredible growth that comes with that. You know, I, yeah, I, I, I'm so with you on that. And I, I feel like this idea of judgment, right? That, that word is kind of interesting to me because I'm an ethicist. So it's all about judging, right? And we are judging right now because we're saying that this lifestyle is a better way to live. And that's a judgment in and of itself. So to me, it's... The, but, but what I guess what I'll point out is this. It's like when we blindly follow these norms and use that to evaluate others, what we're also doing is blindly following the norm and judging ourselves on it. And so people who look at someone else and impose something. It's like, oh, well, I don't like this. I don't like that. That kind of externalized, you know, judgment comes from an internalized judgment place. Or you are trying to control yourself a little too much. You're trying to box yourself in a little too much. I'm like, why are you so afraid of? Are you actually afraid of other things that other things that you might be, you know, like I'm also, I'm almost like there's an internal oppression that happens at the same time when people do that external oppression you know that external externalized judgment i'm like mm, that comes from an internalized place and and it's really a place of being bound and i i feel very very sad about that i i think queerness is about being unbound like more freedom more creativity 
You know, you talk about things like manifestation, you talk about synchronicity. I, the theologian in me now wants to ask where you are with what I will call right now spirituality. I'm going to define that as this understanding that there is a spirit to things, meaning that interactions, like this isn't just matter, our bodies are not just matter, and our relationships are not just coincidences. Like, oh, I coincidentally, like that there's some, something more supernatural beyond at work here. Whatever you want to define it as, I don't care. And, and again, like, I want to say, like, there are some folks who are atheists, and, but you can also be like spiritual, like you can like not believe in a God or something. You can also be atheist and aspiritual and do believe that this is just matter and whatnot. But I was trying to situate you with like, uh, like the more than matter conversation. Hmm. I would call, if I was trying to find a label that resonates, I would call myself spiritual. I would call myself not religious. I would call myself, uh, if I had to like brand the type of spirituality that I'm interested in and intrigued by, it's probably somewhere under like the new agey umbrella. Oh, there's also a lot of things under that umbrella that I'm not at all interested in and that don't resonate at all. I would say that what, um, if I had to describe my kind of spirituality. It's like the magic and mystery of life is what I love. I believe that there's so much more to our world and to our life and to ourselves than we can see and touch. I'm very interested in everything that's happening at the intersection of ancient philosophy, quantum physics, neuroscience, psychology, and spirituality. So like everything that falls into this intersection of all of those, I'm like, yes. And that to me, part of what I love about manifestation is it's exactly that. Depending on which kind of schools of manifestation you go into or which teachers you're listening to, they might speak more about, and manifestation for anyone who's like, what does that even mean? To me, my definition of manifestation is just bringing something into your 3D physical reality that wasn't there before. So it's like, it's like creating your own reality and doing it on purpose with intention. I believe that we are all manifesting all the time by default, but the, when we talk about manifestation, we're kind of implying the act of doing it on purpose. So instead of manifesting your default reality by default, based on your past conditioning and trauma and like old unhelpful patterns of thinking, it's doing it more on purpose with more intention. And some people speak about it through the lens of quantum physics and subatomic particles and vibration and frequency. I'm so not an expert in that world. It's not my lane, but I'm fascinated by it. I spend a lot of time like dipping my toes in. I have a really hard time translating it then into like normal person speak because I'm just like, I'm not a scientist. And then same thing with neuroscience. I love what happens in our brain and with the reticular activating system and with brain chemicals that get released and the things that happen during meditation. Like people like Dr. Joe Dispenza is like measuring brain scans of people who are meditating and there's like wild shit happening, right? And then ancient philosophy, I'm like, most of the greats were saying shit thousands of years ago that I believe are like universal truths that people have just studied and followed as like moral guidelines and principles by which to live your life. And like, I think even though I'm like, so not, I so don't identify with any of the monotheistic or like Christian or Catholic faiths. I believe that the Bible is actually just this amazing manifestation book. And I love reading excerpts of it or hearing about portions of it or any other religious text through that lens. But anyway, so, so to me, it's just all different, different perspectives on ultimately the same thing. Can I ask you, like, what are some of those ancient philosophies? Like, can you give an example of one or two that, like, drive your 
views. Certain things from her, I'm probably going to say it wrong, is it her, hermeticism, like the Kabbalion? Not, a, not an area of expertise for me, so I don't want to speak to something I don't know, but just things that come from kind of like the, um, the idea that we are, we are so, I don't even really know how to like articulate that in a, in a helpful way, but the fact that like there is so much going on in the ether, the particles that like, if you look at dark matter, for example, and again, disclaimer, not a quantum uh, physicist, not an astrophysicist. I can't speak to any of that, but it's like something that like 99.999% of what's happening in everything around us is actually dark matter. And like the experts at this don't even know what the fuck it is. You know, it's something along those lines. Like there's so much magic. There's so much we don't yet understand, but so much of what I think the ancient philosophers and people who were just teaching us how to live well and how to live in an empowered way and how to create the reality and attract the desires that we want. They were speaking about things that now science is starting to be able to prove. And that's what I'm interested in. And again, clearly not an expert on, on, on the details of those things, but like, that's the stuff that lights me the fuck up because it gets me so excited to realize, right? Like most of our problems, when we look around in the world, like it's people feeling so disempowered and they think they're constantly giving their power away to everything outside of themselves, to their circumstances. It's the government's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my boss. That's toxic. It's my partner. Who's an asshole. Like every time we blame someone else, we're giving our power away and we become disempowered. Whereas manifestation and my whole belief system completely flips that on its head. It's living not from the outside in, it's living from the inside out. It's you deciding who you are, what you want, and then actually taking action to do something about it. But you're also completely creating your own experience of your own reality every single day through how you view the world, how you think about the world, how you feel about how you respond to things, the words you use, the way you show up. Like two different people can walk into the exact same room at the exact same time and do the exact same thing and have a completely different experience just because of their filter and how they're seeing the world. So that's where I'm like, we have so much power. We have so much choice. And yet most humans on the planet don't realize that and are living their lives by default and think or believe or like subconsciously just assume that they are the victims to their circumstances. And they're just like hoping things get better. But then they also watch the news all day and complain about things and don't do anything. So it just continues to be shitty. And I'm like, what I want to scream from the top of the mountain, how much power we have to change if we can just get it stop giving our power away and instead come back to the power that we have inside of us. And there, there are many different pathways to that. There are many different philosophies and methodologies and principle and like so many different ways to approach it. But once we start to recognize our own power, like everything changes. Completely agree. Yeah. So study, uh, I study, I'm a theologian, right? And so my, this is my view here. It's like a lot of queer people, right? Have a huge aversion to spiritual conversations or religious conversations for real, for good reason, because we've been traumatized. We've been told that we're sinful. We're going to hell. Who wants to listen to that? Okay. However, what, what that ends up doing for us is it makes us again, deconstruct that and not reconstruct anything in its place. Not. And then as a result, we now no, are no longer seeking those deeper questions about how does the world work and why, how am I operating here? And to me, that causes a lot of suffering and pain, or to me, that, that causes a lot of aim, perhaps a little aimlessness. Or what I'm trying to say here is that I think human beings are, oh, sorry, before, before I jump in there, I want to go to like Billy Porter, right? The queer icon who was a, a star in the, the TV show Pose. And he says, the first thing they take away from us is God. And I thought, yes. And I'm like, okay, God is a metaphor, obviously, for this like ability to ask ourselves the deeper questions in life. Like we're so traumatized by religion often that we just disengage the entire di discourse and we, we lose that conversation. 
And that's really, really, I think, hurtful. Okay, now what I was trying to say is like, I think human beings are naturally curious, right, about these things. Since the caveman and cavewoman, cave person could think, the first thing they did was look up at the stars and say, hmm, what's that? You know, like, we, why are we here, right? They're trying to understand the world. And whatever you think about organized religion, I think all religion is really a, a language trying to ask, answer the deeper mysteries, right, of life. And I think that it's important, you know, the, these questions are valid and are, are beautiful. And I think that atheism, actually, I, 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 I told my students that atheism is also a faith because there's no proof that something exists beyond the material world, but there's also no proof that something doesn't, okay? The default is not atheism. The default is actually agnosticism. We don't know. That's a default. You can make a choice to believe that nothing exists and that we're just instinctual animals. And you can only like root out those emotional instincts and emotional connections. And we, they're just a product of evolution. That's all we are. Anything that happens that you would call synchronicity is just pure coincidence. That's a, a potential philosophy. And it's a very smart one too. Absolutely. And there are also the spiritual slash religious philosophies, the spiritual ones, which is basically what you've outlined, that there is some sort of amorphous, non-definite essence to this world that does something and affects it, right? And we can connect to it. And then religions, I think, try to personify that into a God. And that's kind of where I live. And that's mostly because, but honestly, like, I, I can't convince you. I can't convince anyone. It's just, I made the choice to uh, subscribe to this language, right? And I love what you said about, like, reading the Bible through manifestation. I read it through queerness. I read it through transgression. I'm like, the, this, this God became a human. That's transgressive, according to Christianity. And that human got crucified naked. Why in the crucifixion in the Roman Empire was against, was for, uh, how do you call it, people who were uh, sedition, right? Uh, betraying the empire, being a rebel. I'm like, come on. You know, like the Bible, I'm like, it's full of that transgression. And, and, and to me, that's, that's where that, some people look at that and right, Christianity has this, uh, this, this doctrine of imago Dei in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. And so if God is that way and that's what God does in our, in our world, then are we called to be that transgressive force? And you're doing something similar. You're basically kind of picking onto these philosophies that spiritually analyze this essence, this supernatural essence that is in our world. And you're saying like, mm, we have a responsibility to tap into that flow. Like we have to swim in this river that is there. And, and so like, it's that relational component. And that's why I'm so interested in stuff like this, because I think in our country, religion is not going to go anywhere. And spirituality is also not going to go anywhere. And atheism isn't either. Uh, and so, but um, my particular contribution, I hope, to this world, to this, our society, is to really get people to value the power of queerness and really uh, see how it applies specifically in these spiritual slash religious conversations. Because when we combine these two, we really have the potential to A, live that life that you're talking about the, from the inside out, but B, like really create a society where that can actually unfold and people can do the do so safely. Like living from the inside out is not something I would go to any country in the world and tell a queer person to do that. Not if they can suffer, for example, the death penalty, which queer people can suffer in many countries, right? So there is a, a degree of privilege that we have to be able to enjoy in our society in order to be fully able to live into that. that that's where I think there, we have a moral imperative here to really build a world where we can do that. So it's, and that's kind of where my, my work is and where my passion lies. 
So thank you again. Thank you for all these wonderful conversations and questions. I'm like, my mind is just always like vibrating, you know, the same, you know, we're like harmonizing. So, so much of it with everything that we're talking about, whether it's the faith and the spiritual and the religious side of things or the queerness side or the power side, like it comes down to choice, you know, like in, in our ability as individuals to have a choice to be, I love the phrase being at choice. You have the power to make a decision, at least as where we have the privilege to be able to do so, where it's not like we're not risking our actual life, right? So speaking in the assumption that we have the privilege to make a choice, like I love to be at choice and I love to be in a place of curiosity. And so I will generally, I will always fight, I will always choose myself and, and fight for people to or encourage them and invite them to choose what is helpful. When I talk about my own spirituality or those things, I will never be the person who's like, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's why you should believe this. Or like, there's no bone in my body that can tell people, here's what you should do. Because one of my core beliefs is we should be at choice, you know? And I don't know what's right for you. I can share what what I think is interesting. And I, I generally lean towards like, what is helpful in this situation? What is helpful for me? What is helpful for us as a collective? And that's what I love about queerness. That's what I love about power and all these things you're talking about. Because it's like, it's putting the power, instead of giving our power away, it's taking our power back so that we can be at choice, so we can choose what is helpful. Like what is helpful to me so that I can grow as a human? What is helpful to us as a collective so that we can move forward in a helpful way for humanity? To me, any person or organization that is saying, I am right, you are wrong, it's this way, it's only this way, power over, like all of that to me is just, my whole body wants to like collapse down. It just feels, it feels limiting. It feels like it, it makes all of us go backwards or stay still. And I want all of us to expand and grow. And to me, we have to be at choice to be able to do that. And it's helpful to choose the things that like are helpful and healthy and, and moving humanity forward in some sort of a positive, healthy direction. And that's where I'm going to land for all of this stuff. I'm like, and, and, and like with the spirituality thing, like I, I'm someone who I know a lot of people really want to know what the answers are. And I'm like, I totally am okay with the idea that I probably will never know what the answers are. And I love living in the question. That's why I'm like, in a lot of ways, I, I don't like to call myself an expert in anything. And I almost like bristle and resist it when somebody tries to call me an expert in any subject matter. I'm like, but I'm not though. I'm a student. I'm a guide. I'm a mentor. I'm a facilitator. I'm a leader. I'm a coach. I'm a speaker, but I'm not actually an expert. And any of the things that I'm close to being an expert in, it's just because I'm such a student and I'm so curious and I just want to find all the ways that like, maybe I've actually have more to learn or maybe I'm understanding it not in a helpful way. So it's like, it's always about growth and learning and choice. Amen. I think so. I agree. I think expertise is more about being able to talk about something rather than having all the answers, right? And I mean, I, I, I work in academia, right? And so we are considered very much experts and people resort to us and call us when the Pope a few months ago or a few weeks ago said, you know, allowed for same-sex blessings in the Catholic Church. I was called up to to talk on TV, you know. And and I think there's something to be said about, like, you know, exploring these questions to the point where we can smartly speak about it. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that, like, stay humble because there's still a lot to learn. And I, I was just teaching my class yesterday, a seminar on sexuality and religion. And the stuff that the students were saying was just brilliant stuff that I would never have said. And I was like, oh my God, I am not an expert, you know? And the same thing happens. Like I look at people who graduate in, so who graduate, who retire in my field after a lifetime of writing books. And some of the people that I admire the most that have done that the best have a billion more books they want to write. Cause they, it's almost like the more you know about something, the more you learn, the more questions you have. And, um, and that's something I actually tell my students. I tell my students that I have failed 
ask their teacher if they leave my classroom with definite answers. I will ha- I know I have succeeded if you leave my classroom more confused than when you were here, but with some more tools to navigate the confusion. So it's, it's I'm thinking of myself more as a cartographer. <laughs> like, can we map out, you know, or can we can we learn to map out a, a feel, a conversation? Can we map out the conversation? Look at us. We we just we have like a life philosophy that we've outlined in the hour that we've talked about, and you know, like we've mapped something out. But at the end of the day, who knows? Maybe the maybe some folks are right, and there is nothing to this world, and none of this means anything, and that's possible. My by far favorite teachers, mentors, guides no matter how much they know or how much expertise they do have and their ability to articulate. I mean, my favorite teachers are often the ones who can take complicated topics and articulate them in the simplest, most elegant ways. But my favorite ones are always the ones who are so curious. You know, they are, when somebody comes at it from like, I know everything, like, I just, I don't, it doesn't get me excited. I'm kind of like, okay, not as, that doesn't resonate with me. Whereas somebody's, they're so knowledgeable and they have so much expertise and they're still, they have like childlike curiosity and you can feel their passion for their subject and their eagerness to go even deeper or to learn more or to figure out even more simple ways to articulate it to their students. Like, that's what I love. That's what I'm drawn to. That's what gets me so excited in teachers. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was 15. And that's kind of why I, I my, well, my religion teacher in high school took me to a service trip in Puerto Rico. And I found people who I I grew up kind of privileged financially, you know, and my parents, you know, thankfully were, you know, when I was a kid, they were very much like making things work, but eventually they, they experienced financial success. And I grew up in high school with that. And I, so I I never felt scared, financially scared uh, growing up. And then suddenly I go on the service trip. I actually didn't want to go on it. My parents forced me to go on it. You know, that, that, that was a good forcing though. They forced me to go on this to, to, to see something different. And I met people who I thought were, I mean, at the time I said, these are these people are happier than I am. Now I'll probably use words like freer, living more authentically, and it's because it doesn't revolve around money for them. It revolved around community, spirituality. For them, it was very much a Catholic faith. But it was like a, a community community and freedom and just being themselves and expressing themselves. And I, I learned so much about that. And it was so transformational. It completely changed my worldview. Had I not gone on that, I would probably be a, co- a wheel and a, you know, a cog in the machine. And it really changed my life. It made me really see the world differently. And on the ride back, I was in one of those vans, you know, like the kidnapper vans, like those white vans, that's the van that the school had. And I was sitting, you know how the driver and the passenger have like a space in between. I was, uh, I was like, I was pretty small. So I was like sitting in that space, totally, total safe hazard, safety hazard. But I was sitting there looking up at my teacher who was driving us back to the school. And I thought, wow, I was reflecting on my experience. I thought, well, what a beautiful transformational experience to be able to encounter difference and to have your world be opened to more questions. And I thought, wow, and he gets to do that for a living to guide people to really think more expansively about the world. Maybe I should consider being a teacher. And that moment I felt this like overwhelming sense of peace. Like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And I set out to do that. And I set out to be a teacher and I found myself being queer and in a Catholic school setting and again, being oppressed by these norms. And that's what made me go into academia to like really question how what's operating here then i found myself in academia and i it's been a, it's been quite the journey but in academic academia and writing books which you know i and i have written a book that's hopefully going to be published by the end of 2024 
on queer educators in Catholic schools. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, yeah, the, the research component of it is super self-indulgent. Like I love being a nerd and learning about something. But the teaching component of it is fills my soul just, you know, it, it really fuels that hope that like future generations and current generations, a lot of my students, some of my students, my students are even older than I am, are interested in, in really making this world a better place. So I don't know. I think I think all this world work is great. And when I look at, again, like podcasts like this and someone like you, who I very much consider to be a teacher as well, student too, but also teacher, I just like, I don't know. I think I think it's cause for optimism. The power of queerness, y'all. Fabulous power of queerness. Fabulous, yes. sassy power of queerness. We love, I know for me, like, I mean, so many, so many gifts in there, but I'm thinking of just, just like my own journey, the recent version of self-expression that has found its way out of me more and more in so many different ways by embracing my own queerness and by talking about it more publicly and just like, relaxing into it. It's everything you were describing about like that, that sense of knowing that you want to be a teacher. It's like, there's a peace, there's a freedom, there's an expansiveness that, and I mean, to me, that's just, it's, it's authenticity. It's the like relaxing into who you are and owning the shit out of it, whatever it may be. And also owning the fact that it can change and it can evolve and you're allowed to change your mind about anything or anyone at any time, one of my mantras. And it, it feels like so much relief the more that we can do whatever deconstruction, reconstruction we need to do to get to a place that's more whole, more authentic, in many cases, way more queer. Amen. I like that. I feel like if people had access to that, you know, we would have a very different world. And and I, and, but more and more people are tapping into it. So I'm excited to see what the future holds. And I think this is why we both do what we do. So. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, any final, final wishes or words that you want people to walk away from this conversation with? Hmm. What hasn't been said? A final wish. I guess I will wish all of the listeners um, abundance. I wish you all freedom, happiness. I wish you all creativity. Um, and I wish you all the power that queerness and that resides within you. Um, each one of you is, well, I use the word Zimago Day is made in, in the image of the divine, but um, each one of you is incredible, worthy, light-filled human being. And I think that this quest toward understanding our own selves um, and really trying to reconfigure ourselves so that we can shape our world is is hope-filled and, and worthy. And and I, I think it's uh, going to bring us all to happiness. So I wish that to all of your listeners and Again, thank you for having me here. Mm, amen. I'm gonna. I'm finding myself saying amen a lot more lately, even in general, but especially with this conversation. Well, and amen means let it be. That is a translation of amen. May it be so. For people who um, are like, hmm, I need so much more ish in my life. Where should they go to find you on the interwebs? Yes. So actually, I most of my most of my uh, academic and interaction social interactions happen through Facebook, uh, even though that's like the boomer website. But that's uh, that's still it still has a place in my heart. Uh, so find me on Facebook, Ish Ruiz, um, and I also can give you my email. My email is Ish. That's I S H. Then Ruiz. That's R U I Z. One one. That's eleven at gmail.com. So Ish Ruiz. 11 ish r u i z as in zebra 
at gmail.com. And you can find me there. There's a website forthcoming at some point, but I'm not sure when I'm going to have time for that. And not only are you um, out in the world of academia and and forthcoming book is coming, but uh, you are also available for speaking engagements and lectures, I believe. Can I can we can we pimp you up to the speaking world also while we're here? Absolutely. Yes. Pimp me out to whenever you want, whatever you want. So uh, I do work on queerness in institutions. So if you have a, an institution that wants to be more inclusive of LGBTQ plus persons, uh, queer persons, and even uh, along the lines of race, uh, racial uh, intersection with queerness, uh, I do those conver- I have those conversations. I do use a lot of design related language, which is why I'm so drawn to Sandra's designing your life. Um, so for me, it's what does a space look like? And uh, I also am available for spiritual conversations. So anything related. So if you're a part of a spiritual group, a religious group, and you want to talk about queerness and its intersection with spirituality and faith, um, I am always here to talk. And then obviously academia. So if there is any, if you want a more of an academic lecture, um, you know, with s- sources, keynote, sorry, sources, footnotes and, and quotes, I do that as well. Thank you, Ish, so much. This was really awesome. I learned a ton. And this topic, this apparently I like the intersections of many different things, especially really juicy topics like, you know, sex and religion and uh, all the other edgy stuff. So thank you for being willing to go there. Yeah, thank you so much for your sharing your journey and your wisdom and your energy and just all the all the fun Tassy, passionate vibes. I just, I love being around you. I love having you in my world. It's so fun. And I'm going to for sure see you at the club. Ish and I have been known to get down, not just on the gym floor, but the dance floor very low and get very weird. So if you happen to be in West Sonoma County, you can come find us at the Clerps. Um, so quick recap, our guest today was Ish Ruiz. We talked about the power of queerness. I really hope it was very illuminating for all of you listeners. Reminders that Dream Life Academy will be open for enrollment soon on January 31st. And that Manifest That Shit is coming at the end of February. You'll find links to both in the show notes. If you found this episode helpful, feel free to screenshot and tag me. You can also, do you want to, would you want to be tagged, Ish? Yes, and my my name is the same. It's Ish Ruiz eleven. That's my Insta handle, Ish Ruiz one one. And um, if you want to be a super baller, you can rate the show. If you go to Apple, it takes like literally ten seconds, um, and it makes a huge difference for us. If you want to be an extra extra baller baller, um, you can write us a little review. Also very very helpful, and we much appreciate it. Thank you, Ish, for all of you, all that you are and all that you do. And listener, thank you. I love you, and I will see you all in the next episode. Bye.